This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Keeping It 300, brought to you by Blue Wire. Make sure you check us out at bluewirepods.com to see what else we got going on. Kevin Jones, the big man in charge, continues to build our team with a talented podcast roster, and we are super pumped about the future. So again, check us out at bluewirepods.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to Keep It at 300 on iTunes, Spotify, and Art19. And if you haven't done so already, please rate us and write a review. All right, so this is episode 15 of Keeping It 300. I'm Fallon Smith, chilling at my house in Columbia, Missouri. James Jones is in L.A., and we are taping this on a Thursday. And James and I were going to do an intro segment. However, we did our guest segment first, and it was so good. We also went a little long. So we decided to opt out of our intro segment and go straight to our discussion with our guest. He's a legend. I think you're going to like it. Joining us this week on Keeping It 300 is a guy who always keeps it real. He's the host of Warriors Pre and Post Game Live for NBC Sports Bay Area. He has his own show Monday through Friday from noon to 3 on 95.7 The Game. And I was honored enough to be his colleague for five years. He's a Bay Area legend. And now he's the new voice of the San Francisco 49ers, Greg Papa. Man, I got to get used to that, Pop. The new voice of the San Francisco 49ers. Wow. That is such a nice intro, James. How are you? But I I'm uh, good. I'm so how you doing? I'm doing great, man. But I, I'm so excited to be on with Fallon. I miss you, Fallon. I miss you too. Speaking of keeping it real, so we were we were desk mates. She was just across the aisle from me. Yes. Nobody keeps it realer than Fallon, especially <laughs> when a college Ooh. basketball game. Don't or don't a college don't blow her head. Game. Don't blow her head up, Pop. Don't blow her head up. Uh, she was awesome, so. Greg was really awesome, obviously, being kind of a desk mate. He was sitting behind me. But I will say this. Pop has the TV volume on 100. You know there's one through 100? <laughs> he has it on 100. And the worst part about that is he's always behind on the DVR. So we're cheering or we're yelling at a bad call. And he'll yell at a bad <laughs> call like five minutes later. <laughs> well, here's the deal okay. with that. I've done, I've done so many games in my life, not only football, but obviously basketball and baseball, that I have gone deaf. I, I, am, I, I think I'm legally deaf in my left ear. <laughs> a profound loss of hearing, I would say, in both ears. And in one ear, it's really bad. Uh, and I had stage managers and audio people tell me, you've got to turn that sound down, you've got to blow your ears out. But it was hard for me to hear when I was in a loud stadium to be able to articulate my voice and hear you know, rounding off of uh, of syllables and hard consonants. I needed to hear my voice. So I have uh, legally lost uh, a lot of hearing in my ear. I actually tried a hearing aid for a while, but I didn't like that look. 
the AirPods are, are fine. <laughs> I hear what I want to hear now. But uh, so I, when I went in and had my ears checked, I actually had a bout with vertigo last year that was unrelated to my hearing. But I went and had a complete audiology test. They, they said the main issue you have is with uh, female voices in loud places, which works out well with women in bars. I don't even hear them anymore, so I can't get into trouble. And then when I come home, my daughters uh, and all the dogs I have. So it, it actually has turned out well, but it is, it's probably something I'm going to have to fix at some point in my life, but uh, I just have to get by. But I have lost a lot of hearing because of what I do. I'm like, a rock, I'm like an old rock star. Keith Richards can't oh, hear either. Don't don't fix it, Pop, man. I think that's good, man. You know, you're ignoring people, but, you know, they can't get mad at you. You can't hear <laughs> exactly. them. Exactly. Selective hearing. When people are yelling at me, I can't hear. That's Especially really Especially my wife. <laughs> ben, this is funny. This is bringing me back to our, our days uh, at NBC Sports Bay Area because I would always be like, oh, come on, Pop. He was always a hater when it came to women. But you do love women. But you always did no, like... No, that's not... What are you talking about? I hate women. I love women. Yeah, I know you do. I, I, I get along <laughs> with women way better than guys. I, gotta say. I want to know how you get away with... I mean, this is completely going off script because I had all these topics we were going to talk about. But I want to know how the heck you get away with talking about what you talk about on 95.7 The Game. Because I know a lot of women do get upset with some no, of these subject fun. matter. It's all fun. Come on. It's, it's for Sports talk radio is very different than... Uh, what I do on TV, obviously. And it's more guys hanging out at bars. It's all men and fun. I have nothing but great respect. The, the greatest person in my life by far is my mother. Yeah. Uh, luckily, I have a lot of her qualities. I have three daughters at home, and I have two female dogs. So I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I just had to give you a hard time. All right, let's talk about you now. The only barrier team you haven't broadcasted for is the Sharks. You've done play-by-play for the Warriors, Giants, A's, Raiders, and now the 49ers. I mean, that's insane. I don't know if the Sharks are in the future if you're trying to do the big six, but you've done the big five. Yeah, I've, I've actually made many uh, overtures to Randy Hahn to switch jobs. When I was hosting a show called Chronicle Live, he'd come on, and I'd always every year I'd, I'd offer him a trade. He gets to host Chronicle Live one night, and I got to do a Sharks game. I actually love hockey, grew up playing hockey. In Buffalo, uh, it's the one sport I've never done. I think I, I, I have done, uh, you know, sports like it, lacrosse, both indoor and outdoor, mm-hmm. which are similar, but I've never done hockey. But anyway, um, uh, it, it's obviously an honor to be able to do all five teams. Now, I could also say the reason I have done all five is I was fired by three of them. <laughs> so otherwise, I wouldn't have had that, uh, that chance. But, I mean, it, it speaks to the greatness, and we all love the Bay Area, obviously. We all grew up here. I didn't grow up here, but I feel like I have. As a broadcaster, I grew up here. I moved here so young in 1986. Uh, but to be able to lose a baseball job like I did with the Oakland A's and then five minutes later get a phone call from Larry Bear and get hired uh, by the Giants when I lost the Warrior job, uh, virtually days. Uh, Greg Popovich called me in San Antonio and offered me a job there. And then with the, the, the Raiders situation, uh, because of my relationship with Bob Sargent, the 49ers director of broadcasting, uh, they reached out to me almost immediately after the Raiders. So mm-hmm. uh, it's good and bad in the fact that I have lost jobs that I loved, but uh, it is special to be the only guy, and that's something Bob Sargent and I talked about at length, was I'd be the first guy to do all five uh, Bay Area teams, the Power Five, if you would. The, the reason it's unique is that I'd be the first to do both NFL teams, starting with the Raiders in 21 years there, and now I hope to go as long with the 49ers. So that nobody's done both Bay Area football teams, so that's, that's going to be the real special part of this. You know, I got a question. So, you know, I work with Scott Hansen, and he's a big, big Syracuse guy, went to Syracuse, and he's always in there bragging 
<laughs> Syracuse has the best broadcasting uh, <laughs> in the world and all that and this and that. And I'm like, man, yeah, right. I'm like, I'm just as good as you. I went to San Jose State. How much does Syracuse, <laughs> how much does Syracuse help you? You know, actually, when I, uh, when I speak to, to young people that are aspiring, James, to be broadcasters, I mention San Jose State, the great program there. Uh, San Francisco State, our boss, Ted Griggs, uh, for years at NBC Sports Bay Area, now the corporate boss, fell. he went there, and I, mm-hmm. I've gone back and, and spoken to those people there. And uh, Missouri had a very good uh, program. It still does, by the way. It's the best journalism program in the country, hands well, down. Oh, better than, what better than Syracuse? Yes, because M- Mizzou's, Mizzou's <laughs> journalism program, they actually, yeah, they actually have their students in the journalism program on the local NBC affiliate. That's how they get their reps. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I actually considered going there, but I, uh, to be honest with you, I wanted to go to Cornell, oh. where my older brother Gary went, but I, I wasn't smart enough to get in there. And I, I actually applied too late to get into Syracuse as far as the Newhouse School, which is the broadcasting school initially. I had to get my grades up as a freshman, uh, and then I transferred over. But anyway, it, it, I mean, there's so many great broadcasters uh, are from Syracuse. Uh, I think one of the very best of all time as far as play-by-play, Marv Albert and, and Dick Stockton as well. And I think the greatest studio host that's ever been, Bob Costas, went to Syracuse. So uh, I think a lot of us went there because of Marv, if you wanted to do play-by-play. I, I don't think you have to go there uh, to be taught. It, it's not something you're taught to do. Yeah, it, it is something that you just teach yourself. It's a learned behavior over time. Very few people are, are born with the ability. You have to kind of uh, teach it to yourself. But I just say do reps. What was the best thing about my time at Syracuse was we did all, all the teams, obviously, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, lacrosse. Uh, but I, I did two full years of minor league baseball, the AAA baseball team mm. there, the Syracuse Chiefs. So by the time I was done, I had done a couple hundred baseball games. And there was a time midway through my senior year when I was doing a baseball game where I thought, wow, I, I've gotten decent at this. I'm really comfortable. I'm no longer imitating all the voices that I heard when I was younger that mm-hmm. I'm really comfortable on the air. And I wound up getting hired right off the campus there uh, in, the, in the NBA with the Pacers when I was 21. And that was because of an article that was written about me in Sports Illustrated. So uh, it wasn't just going to Syracuse as far as what I was taught in the classroom. In fact, I feuded with my professors a lot uh, because I missed a lot of time, and they wouldn't let us do stories on sports. They thought that wasn't really being a newsman, uh, and it was difficult, but I got, I got through barely. But uh, the, the uh, ability to do all the reps and all the games that I did and having that article written about me uh, enabled me. There's no way I would have been hired in the NBA at age 21 if that didn't happen. So, well, you became uh, you the know, youngest person ever to call an NBA game at 21. Well, Marv, Marv was younger when he filled in with Marty Glickman. Marty Glickman was the voice of the Knicks, also a Syracuse guy like Marv. Uh, Marv was 20 when he filled in. I was the youngest to do it full-time where I was hired as actually – a full-time broadcaster with the Pacers at age 21, and then I became the, the, the lead play-by-play voice of the Pacers at age 22. And then a couple of years in the, in, in the nation's uh, Midwest, I wanted to get away from that. I love the folks there, but that wasn't for me. And I had a chance to come out to the Bay Area in 86 when I was, when I was 24. Well, guess what? I found an article um, by Susan Slusser that was written about you back in 1996 oh, when wow. you were 34 years old. With my daughter's laying on my lap, right? <laughs> I love that. Picture. Yes. And so here's a quote from it. I think I've always been the same, but people's perceptions of me have changed. 
Then people would say I was cocky and full of myself. And I'm still cocky and full of myself. It's just more acceptable now that I'm in my mid-30s. Nothing has changed, Papa, <laughs> since 1996. Is that fair to say? Well, I, I, I mean, there's a difference. I guess, you know, cocky and being full of yourself is not a great quality. I think an essential quality is self-confidence. Yes. And James can speak to this as an athlete. A great, I think there's nothing like the swagger of a great athlete. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've got to have it. I'm not, I would almost say it's essential. I've known some people that don't have, and it's one quality in uh, Amari Cooper that, you know, kind of bothered me a little bit that he was so sheepish and quiet. And uh, I, I don't know if that he was ever to fully bring out his full ability. And now I see him in Dallas, and I think he's running his routes much harder and crisper, and he's just he's got more bravado. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I first got here, because I was so young, I think people felt, that I needed to act a certain way and I didn't feel like I needed to act that way. And I, 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 I really, here's the one thing that I, and I do get that a lot, but I, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. In fact, there are many times when I was young and I'd go to cocktail parties or hang out with people and they'd all gravitate towards me because they wanted to talk about sports. And there were people in the room that I thought were far more interesting in their, their life's uh, work that I wanted to talk to. But I, I don't feel like I'm better than anybody, but I don't feel anybody's better than me. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I live my life. I, I, I kind of was raised that way, and I kind of grew up that way. Uh, James can probably speak to that as an athlete. Uh, you know, there's some people I, I respect a lot of people, but I don't think anybody's uh, a better person or broadcaster than me. But at the same time, I'm not a better person. Uh, or my life's not more important than anybody else's. I don't feel that way, but... Uh, I think, and also when you have to go on and perform, you have to have a certain swagger about you. And people really only see me when I'm at the arena. You know, Fallon, that, you know, when we were watching games together, you're screaming and yelling. I'm I'm pretty much very introverted. I'm very quiet. Yeah. I, I study a lot and I watch a lot. I don't I don't talk a whole lot until I have to talk, to be honest with you. Or until a bad call is made and then you go crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I have opinions on things, but I, <laughs> I, I, I really am... I don't want to say I'm shy, but I, I don't have to be the life of the party at all times. But I, but, but when I go into the arena or the stadium to do a game, uh, and again, James can speak to this, and you as well, Fallon. I mean, when the light goes on, whether you're an athlete or a broadcaster, I think you have to have to certain have a certain swagger. You can't look like you're intimidated. Yeah, uh, I think that's what separates the good ones from the great ones. So, uh, I think I was responding to people saying that I was cocky and full of myself, and that was the perception. I think basically the bottom line is I don't think I'm better than anyone, but I don't think anyone's better than me. Well, yeah, you got to have that swag. And speaking of that swag, I mean, I always tell even the young players I talk to, you got to play with swag. You got to play with confidence. If you go out there scared, no swag, you're going to get deed up and you're going to get sent on back to the bench. You got to play with swag. But speaking of swag, the swag you bought to the Raiders. Touchdown Raiders. My little kids still say it since I scored so many touchdowns in the black and silver. They still say it. They how many, how many James it. Jones touchdown Raiders did I have? How many How many you score with the Raiders? I don't know. What was it, seven or eight or something up, like man. that? We got to look yeah. that up. But, um, you know, on YouTube and all that, my little kids, they all they come running through the house. Touchdown Raiders. <laughs> so my thing is, what kind of swag are you going to bring to the 49ers? Have you been thinking about something when a Niners score? What you going to say? A different type of swag? I've been thinking about it uh, since I kind of had a feeling I would get this job, and I haven't 
I, I haven't decided. I think that the touchdown Raiders call was my tribute to Bill King, who uh, really uh, I was lucky enough when I did the A's games for 14 years to travel with and get to know. Bill was the, the fabulous voice of the Raiders for for 26 years or so and did the Warriors and did uh, the A's, obviously, and I wound up doing all three teams. So I, I really uh, he kind of mentored me, and especially when it came to announcing football, uh, I hadn't done uh, football at any level uh, since I was back at Syracuse when the Raiders hired me in 97. I did a few preseason games for the L.A. Rams, but I, I hadn't done football in, in years. And it, it changed a lot with all the substitution and, and down and distance on both sides. The personnel groups changed. It was hard. So I sought Bill's uh, guidance on that and counsel. Uh, and that was my tribute just initially was Bill touchdown Raiders was his call. And then over time, I just – made it mine where I was able to, you know, over time, stretch out the touchdown call. And obviously with the R and Raiders, be able to roll the, the Raiders. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously when the 49ers score a touchdown, I'm going to acknowledge that it's a touchdown. And what I do after that, I, I really haven't come to a conclusion yet. I think I'm going to spend time listening to their great voices, starting with Bob Fouts, Dan Fouts, father was the original voice of the 49ers and Don Klein and, Obviously, Lon Simmons, who I got to know for for many many years when he did the A's and the Giants, we did them together, overlapping there for a while. And and obviously uh, Joe Starkey and and Ted Robinson. I'll listen to all of them, and maybe come up with a line that would pay tribute to them. But I don't I don't think I'm going to do it exactly the same way I did Touchdown Raiders. But obviously I'm going to do something. Now speaking of Bill King, he's arguably the greatest play-by-play announcer in Bay Area history. And I'm going to argue though that you are in his league, Papa. And I'm going to go even further and say I think you're up there talent-wise when it comes to TV play-by-play guys like Jim Nance, Mike Tirico, and you're way better than Joe Buck. I know I'm hating right there, but I feel way better than that guy. So my question is, why haven't you ever gone network? Was that a personal decision? No. um, It was something that, frankly, when I was younger, I was probably uh, overly obsessed with. And it was – uh, the article that was written about me in Sports Illustrated back in March of 84 described me as the next Marv Albert, mm. and we all wanted to be Marv Albert. And uh, I never wanted to not do local, okay. but I wanted to find a way to fit in and do national. And whether it was I just didn't have the right agent or there was an East Coast bias, uh, you know, for years I wondered if they heard me yeah. uh, living here on the West Coast and uh, you know, I think it changed, though, when Fox came out and, and, and dropped anchor in Los Angeles, and I thought that would be my opening. But they wound up hiring great announcers. Their their thing was that initial time was to hire Joe Buck, Jack Buck's son, to hire Tom Brenneman, Marty Brenneman's son, uh, to hire Kenny Albert, Marv Albert's son. They, they wanted to go with that second generation. We're the new, young, vibrant mm. Simpsons network. And I, I didn't get hired in that hiring cycle. And... Uh, but then I, there was a point where uh, I could have pushed it more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I had I had kids. I mean, I had I had a lot of kids. I wound <laughs> up with five, yeah. and the last two were twins. And I, I really, at a certain point, I, I wasn't willing to move. Yeah. And then also uh, to do the networks, you you travel a lot, and I've I've really kind of changed my later years of my career where I don't travel very much. Football travel is really not very demanding at all. Yeah. And outside of that, I do studio work and radio work, and I never get on an airplane anymore. So I, it, for a long time, it bothered me. 
that I didn't get there because I truly thought I'm never going to reach the, the level where I'm going to be thought of as one of the greats. Uh, a lot of factors, whether it was my own ability, could have been. I sounded a certain way. Who knows why? It's it's not a right or wrong uh, conclusion on who's a good announcer or not. It's all subjective to everybody's tastes. Uh, whether there was my agent, whether it was an East Coast, West Coast bias, but there was a point in my life where I moved on, and it wasn't that important to me in raising my family and being a good father. I remember one time I have three older kids and the two younger, they're twins. They're all you know pretty similar but I remember uh, the older kids one day uh, were talking about, you know, certain events in their lives and me not being there. And uh, it, it was kind of, uh, it made me feel bad. Like, you know, I wasn't out playing golf or yeah. screwing around. I was in Cleveland doing a game somewhere. And I kind of vowed at that point that for these, these the, 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 my next two kids, the twins, I was going to be around more and be more involved in their lives. So it's it's a lot of factors. It's hard. You're, you know, you I'm sure you understand that Fallon, you know, yeah. starting a family, it's, it's difficult. You make a lot of compromises, but to answer your question for a long time, that did bother me. And then at some point in my life, it, I moved on it when it wasn't that big a deal to me anymore. Are you saying that ship has sailed or if someone comes up to you and offers you a network gig, would you accept it now? Oh, now? Yeah, I think I'm probably too old for that. And that's, you know, the 40, the 49er job, uh, they actually, that was kind of my mindset when I lost the Raider job was that this would be the chance that I have to, to finally do the networks on TV. And I think I'm probably hireable in a TV booth doing football more than the other ones, even though I can do them all. Uh, but the 49ers just wouldn't allow it. They, they offered me a deal a length and salary that, uh, you know, I'd have to be one of the top two or three network guys to get that salary. So, uh, it just, again, it, it, it was something that, uh, and you know what a lot of it is, is just trying to validate, who you are and you know all the guys that I went to college with yeah uh you know prove I'm better than them or uh and mainly you know what it was a lot was for my mom and dad to be able to watch me and listen to me was you know they got a satellite dish and they you know they got direct tv and they watch me as much as they can yeah but it would have been a real thrill for them for me to do say a you know a buffalo bills game into buffalo I think they would have been so thrilled but there's a point where you know, you realize that stuff's not really important. There are a lot of other things in your life that are important. And uh, again, going back to the original, you know, when I'm cocky and full of myself, you know, th- those guys are great broadcasters. I'm not saying I'm better than them, yeah. but I'm not saying they're better than me just because they, they speak to a wider audience. I think at some point in your life, you just, just come to grips and you're comfortable in your skin and who you are. Well, I know Fallon has a million questions that's building up in her little brain right now. You know, she talks a lot. Uh, <laughs> I do, Papa, actually. Before she, <laughs> before she gets going, I got to hurry up and cut her off. But, no, I want to know, I mean, you worked for the Raiders for a long time. What's your greatest memory as an Oakland Raider? Oh, Al Davis. There's no doubt. That's uh, that. That's probably the reason I stayed with the Raiders as long as I did. And uh, and didn't pursue uh, network play by play mm-hmm. was just my loyalty to him, and uh, we got uh, we got close over time. Uh, we got real close after Bruce Allen left and joined John Gruden in Tampa, and even closer after Michael Lombardi left. Uh, it was the phone conversations, the many many hours of meetings that I had with Al. I mean that was. Uh, that was the, uh, there are a lot of, re- I wanted to do the NFL, obviously, but to do it for the Raiders, uh, and specifically Al, Al, Al went to Syracuse. He's a Syracuse guy, Jim Brown guy. So we just grew incredibly close. So he was like a second father to me. Yep. Uh, 
and we would talk on a lot of topics, but uh, we 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 talk often, frequently. Um, so, uh, without question, when I think of that franchise, I think of Al Davis first and foremost in my time with him, my relationship with him, and it was the the biggest, uh, the, the the main reason, maybe the only reason why my years with the Raiders ended was because of my love and and uh, and respect and relationship with Al. Yep. So, but it's I think it's fine now. I think you know them going on to Las Vegas, they got a whole new chapter yeah. in their history that now they're going to move on and not be. You know, Al Al's was the Oakland Los Angeles Raiders. Now they're going to be the Las Vegas Raiders, so you won't think of them that way. But without question, it's Al Davis. Well, I have to ask you this. You know, you were the voice for the Raiders for over two decades. A lot of us know that. Um, I listened to you growing up. I was a teenager when you first started calling games for the Raiders. So I was devastated, you know, when you and the Raiders parted ways. Now, job-wise, obviously, you move forward quickly. Um, and then NBC Sports Bay Area said, okay, let's have you host 49ers pre- and post-game live. Now, that was weird seeing you do that. I had to get used to it, and I have to get used to you being now the new voice of the 49ers. But did it take you a while to get over not being the voice of the Raiders? I mean, it had to be a tough transition, especially on Sundays. Honestly, no. Um, the first preseason game that Friday night against the Lions was I was squirming that, that night. Mm. I was. I, was uh, I went out to dinner and tried to ignore it, went to a restaurant in Walnut Creek, and the game pops out of there's John and I, you know, I, I love John Gruden. We were, we're similar age. Uh, you know, I, I've been uh, an advocate of him coming back to coach the team for a long time. Yeah. Tried to make it happen with Al. So that, that first game was weird. And then I just stopped looking at the TV. I looked away. Uh, and then I immersed myself in what I, what I had to do to prepare for the 49ers. And it allowed me to look at the league uh, differently mm-hmm. because I wasn't, you know, how I prepare. I mean, I, I pretty much prepare like I'm going to coach the game or quarterback yes. the game or yes. play wide receiver or middle linebacker. Uh, so I, I didn't, I wasn't required to do that. Not doing play by play. I had to, re, I had to prepare for the, my role with the 49ers differently. I still watched a lot, but I was able to look at the league more globally and, uh, and look at more teams. And mm-hmm. I was able to study college football. I did, I did four college football games this year with the best programs, Oklahoma and Alabama and Ohio State saw those great quarterbacks, Tonga Vailoa and Kyle Murray and Dwayne Haskins. So I, I just looked at it differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't miss necessarily, you know, I missed game day. There were many games when I was at Levi's with the 49ers that I would say to myself, man, I wish I was actually broadcasting this game today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but it's, it's not that simple. You have to prepare yeah. to broadcast the game. I'm sure James misses game day. But do you miss, you know, Wednesday install day and lift day and all that has to go into play on Sunday? You know, you miss Sunday, but you just don't show up at one o'clock on Sunday and go. There's oh, a lot of no, hours yeah, you have to put in. That's what so I don't miss. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I mean, I, but I, I, I do love that. I do, I do like preparing. But it was just different. So uh, I was able to. As far as you know, was it weird for me? Uh, the year that I spent doing the 49ers for NBC Sports Bay Area and being around the 49er fans, uh, really allowed me to think that I could do this and that it is going to be weird for fans and weird for me, yeah. but they made me feel so welcome this year. I didn't really hear any negative. It was great to have you over here. Wish you could do more. You're a niner now and all that kind of stuff. So it, it made it a lot easier. I think for all involved for me to have this one year where I was not associated with the Raiders had an ancillary role with the 49ers before I, I take on the main job with them. Well, speaking of preparation though, pop, You know, I worked with you for five years, and as we said earlier, 
I sat right next to you. So I got to see how you prepared for shows. And folks, his preparation is on a whole nother level. And his ability to absorb information is ridiculous. It's, it's mind-blowing. And you do it for multiple sports, which I think is insane. So how do you do it? And can you give our listeners a little insight on your preparation and how you prepare for games? When to do a game or to, I mean, I prepare differently when I'm going to do a studio show that I do. When I do a game, uh, I, you know, I have to know every single player on the field, uh, not only their background and their history, but their, their nuances. I, I, I could identify James when he broke the huddle by the way he ran, yep. uh, which side of the field he lined up on, which routes he ran. Now, James could run them all, but some guys can't. It just makes it easier to call the game not be surprised uh, by it. So uh, as far as doing a game, there's a, a layered uh, preparation for me week to week. And it's, it's less uh, because you do so many games, it's easier to do the next game to some degree. Uh, and mainly my, you know, the team that I'm doing, whether it's the Raiders and now the 49ers, I have a, a good handle on them. Uh, there are things they do differently, obviously, throughout week to week. It's more immersing myself in the opponents week to week and it's just a layered process from uh, reading. Uh, the teams send me a, a stack of clips that I read, and then I, I have other sources, uh, uh, people in the league that send me things, uh, scouting reports and things like that. And then, uh, But it's more just video work. I think the, the main thing in my generation of broadcaster is I can watch any game, not just this year, but I could fire up uh, uh, the NFL app and and go back and watch games from earlier in the decade. The Raiders, when I was working for them, their video people would send me the same video and download it on my iPad that the coaches would get and Al Davis would get. And so I, there's, uh, to me, it's more video. I want to read and know every single thing, mm-hmm. obviously. But it's the, my generation of broadcaster, it's so much easier for us, as opposed to when Bill King was doing the games and other broadcasters, is I, I can watch from the end zone camera to the sideline to all different angles and uh, watch the re- the replay of the game broadcast on TV, and uh, there's just so much more access. So I, you know, it's a layered approach week to week, mm-hmm. uh, and and throughout the week. But I think the main advantage I have is just the amount of video to be able to actually see players play. I can watch every game, so it's a uh, it's a lot of work, but it makes it you know by the time Sunday rolls around, it's it makes my job a lot easier. Paul, I want to get back to the uh, 49ers. Um, I'll. What do you think about this 49ers team, Coach Shanahan, Jimmy G? What do you think about this San Francisco team? I think Coach Shanahan uh, is a tremendous play designer, play caller. It's not just play caller. It's the way he designs plays throughout the week and then springs them on game day, obviously, in a clever hand like you're playing poker, setting guys up and when to call them. Uh, But it's more the play design with that outside stretch run game and the way the, the complimentary movement with a quarterback and all that, he just pops guys wide open. He has a great handle on defenses and how to attack defenses. But I, when I look at their team long-term, they run a lot of, as you know, 21 personnel. They got two backs, one tight end on the field. The Rams do it differently uh, with three wide receivers, one back, one tight end. And when you look at the 49ers, the two running backs that they're going to have on the field when they're healthy, Jarek McKinnon and Kyle Juszczyk, are just different running backs. Uh, Juszczyk, is, uh, he's on the field for two-thirds of their snaps. 
he may not be the best lead-blocking fullback in football, but he's the most versatile and useful and match-up guy that you can use in a variety of ways. And then I, I could say the same for Jarek McKinnon. Is he the best pure running back in the NFL? No. But is he a, a chess piece, like a queen on the chessboard, where you can line him up, but he's not like a knight or a bishop where he's going to move or a rook, move certain directions. He's going to move all directions, a lot like Matt Nagy has in Chicago with Tariq Cohen. I think McKinnon can be used that way. And then you got you know the, the other aspect of 21 personnel, the tight end. And you got George Kittle, who's a tremendous inline blocker and also a guy that you can uh, play with, detach him from the line, use him as a wide receiver. You've got to get matchups with McKinnon, with Juszczyk, and with the tight end. You're matching up with linebackers and safeties and schemes where you can prey on them. And then you got to figure out you know, who your two top wide receivers are. Uh, I think they'll move on from Gerson. They have a bunch of young guys that are intriguing. Uh, Dante Pettis, certainly, and Richie James Jr. and Trent Taylor are intriguing. Marquise Goodwin's got to be on the field more. So I think, I think offensively the pieces are there. Defensively their front is, is strong. Uh, they got to figure out the back end. Uh, I think in all regards, I think Sherman's movement will be better this year than it was last year coming off the injury. But uh, as far as the deep safeties and the box safety and the cover three, I'm, you're not sure. But I think offensively, and they also figured out how to run, how to block the offensive line did for the outside zone. I didn't think they did that well at all Kyle's first year. They figured it out last year, even with a few injuries and a few pieces moving around. But they were pretty stable on the offensive line. So I, if they get this quarterback healthy and they keep him healthy for 16 games, Garoppolo and McKinnon and Juszczyk and Kittle and that offensive line. I think they have the basis to be not only an explosive offense, which they were this year, they, they, they were very high in explosives, both run explosives and pass explosives, but they got to score more and they got to figure out a way to score inside the red zone. Uh, maybe they need more of a jump ball target there and more of a power running game at times inside the score and the run game inside the, and I, not just inside the 20, but the extreme red zone inside the 10. Uh, I think that they, they, have the, they have the makings to be, if they're healthy, James, I think they could jump from a four-win team to a ten-win team. Ooh. So you, how about, how about the, uh, you think the addition of uh, Antonio Brown album? <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? I mean, the bottom line with that is, 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 is Kyle, this, would Kyle Shanahan want him on the team? I don't, I don't, dis, I don't disregard his ability. I think he's arguably t- top two or three wide receiver in the NFL, and he has been for a long stretch. But uh, what do you have to give up to give him? And then I think it's just guys – vouching for him in the building that could say he's not going to pull the antics late in the year uh, he pulled in Pittsburgh. So I'll ask you, is he, is he a good citizen? Is he a good locker room guy? I know he's a great player, but will he fit in with the, with the culture they're trying to build there? He'll fit in anywhere. Well, you know, like they, all, like they always say, winning cures everything, Pop. So I think it'll be yeah, winning. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it'll right. be all good. You're right. So I know I talk a lot, and I know I'm – trying to take over this interview because I have a million questions to ask Pop. So I saw, sorry, James, but uh, back quickly to your preparation. I want to tell the people this, like you obviously may have lost your hearing. Okay. But you're not losing your memory or your ability to memorize things. And I want to tell the people out there, the listeners that before he hosted shows, Pop is at his desk, cutting press clippings, stats, etc., and taping them on pieces of paper, <laughs> like for his notes for the show. And the funny thing about that, Pop, is I actually used your approach 
when James and I, I'm not sure if you know this, but James and I actually called two NFL games uh, this year for Intel. You they have did? a partnership. Yes. I was the play-by-play oh, I guy. I that. Send that to me. Okay, Send we'll that to me. So I was a play-by-play guy, and he was the color analyst, and it was for um, this virtual reality thing that they're doing. Yeah. So it was a little different because each play – we basically stopped after each play. So you are fluid. You have to fill time, you know, after each play. We kind of stopped. It was more yeah. so like highlights. But How fun, though. It, 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 yeah. it was super fun. We had a, a great time. And honestly, you're kind of tactic. Ask James. I came in there. He's like, what the hell are you doing? I came with all these things taped, and he was making fun of me. <laughs> but I learned it from you and the way that you kind of prepare. And James thought I was crazy. But there's just so much preparation that goes into especially calling a game that people just don't understand. Yeah, I, I – uh... You know, I, I have uh, multiple iPads, as you know. I have one just dedicated to watching games. I have one dedicated to reading uh, different uh, things that are sent to me that I read on my iPhone as well. But I also read the newspaper. I still I used to have eight newspapers sent to my house in the old days. Now it's down to two. But uh, there are certain things that I I don't want to have chance to electronics and things going out in the stadium, and I, I need to have my notes on a hard copy. And uh, I do read newspapers. I do cut out segments of the newspapers. No, I'm not a serial killer. <laughs> but people would think my preparation would, would, would model maybe the son yes. of Sam or somebody. Yes. But it's, uh, it's just because I have so many different devices doing different things, uh, I like to have uh, just an old-fashioned newspaper while I'm uh, immersing myself with other electronics. So I, that's just kind of the way I do it. What I'm cutting out of papers is just facts. Yeah. It's notes, it's, it's, uh, numbers. Uh, and then, you know, when the team send me clips, uh, newspaper clippings, I'll get them from the other team as well. And it'll be factual things about players. You know, what body part is injured going into the game, maybe statistics. It's just another source that I have that I ultimately take into the booth. But I, when I take into the booth with me, uh, and it's an old Marv Albert system that he taught me, you know, years ago when I was uh, at Syracuse in the 80s. Uh, just the old school manila envelope, you know, folder. Uh, one side is defense, one side is offense for each. So I have three of them. I have, you know, teams offense versus defense and special teams. And then I have a, a big legal pad in front of the game, uh, team notes, and also uh, – third down, uh, plus minus specific stat I would use for each team going into the game. It's just, you know, basically as you prepare and whatever system works for you, what it allows me to do is that information instantaneously yeah. where I don't have to search for where that guy go to school or what, what are they on third down? I know exactly in my where to go, where you have to access information it, it's it's immediate. You can't otherwise the ball is going to be snapped and it's not. A, oh crap! He's cutting out. It's just a system that I've downloaded for years and years that allows me to access uh, material and information that I uh, can have. Oh, Pop, you keep cutting out now. Dang it! I only have a couple more questions left. Oh shit! Uh, hard line? Yeah, that's weird. I don't know where you are. How's my hard line cut out? That's I'm weird. I'm blaming it on you now. I'm calling BS. No. Yeah, that's what I was just about to say, Pop. I well, think it's, I think that all it's Fowler's fault now. Okay, now we're gonna blame it's a it on me. Line. It's so weird. I don't how's know. My hard line it might be out? if it's a. Know. Is it a wireless phone? Hello, there's always problems with wireless. No, I know anything. it's not wireless. I'm I'm plugged in. I'm here. Oh, that's weird. Okay, so a listener asked me to ask you about your thoughts on Kyler Murray. Obviously, reports have come out that he's decided to enter the NFL draft, so he's choosing football over baseball, which obviously sucks for the A's, but, but they knew you know, this was a possibility when they drafted him. 
And some scouts are saying that he's a first-rounder. So do you believe that? Oh, man. I mean, he's definitely a first-round talent, but that baseball money over that football money. But, hey, you got to go with your first love, man. People love playing football more than they love playing baseball, man. Yeah, but, Pop, think about it. The grind in the minor leagues, that's not glamorous. Yeah, I, 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 I can't speak to his football ability. Billy Bean and David Forrest are smart guys, and they yeah. took him number nine overall. Uh, I did his first game this year, his season opener. And when you look at his body of work before the season started, he played one year at Texas A&M. He played eight games, only made three starts. And then he transferred, didn't play at all in 2016. 2017, he backed up Baker Mayfield. Mm -hmm. The one game where he started against West Virginia, and I went back and watched that game before the first game this year. That was the game that Baker grabbed his crotch, and (laughs) they suspended him for, I think, the first series that next week. Uh, he had a 65-yard post route over the top for a touchdown against West Virginia. And then I, I did broadcast his very first game this year, and I was blown away by his ability to throw the ball. Uh, in college, it's different. When you got these wide hash marks, to be able to, to hit an out to the field side is elite throwing ability. His, his arm is NFL caliber at the highest level. And then I, I just got obsessed with him this year. Because we did talk about him on the radio show. He's an Oakland A's first-round pick. And I, I, I would have Oklahoma on uh, – and my Saturdays were a little freer this year because I didn't have to get ready for NFL play-by-play on Sunday. So I would, I would watch their – I watched every snap of his season this year, either recording it or watching it. And I'd duck out when they were on defense. But I'd come back and watch him offensively. Uh, he was amazing, amazing. Uh, quality NFL throws, so many post routes he would hit, so many deep overs he would hit and drop them over the top. Uh, you know, I don't like quarterbacks that are uh, running quarterbacks per se. This guy is a quarterback that can run and run at the highest level. He, he ran a four three eight forty. Now, all that being said, I I adored him. I loved him all year long until the Orange Bowl happened. <laughs> yeah. And then that when he matched up against Alabama's athletes, yeah. uh, it just hit me like, wow, he's really small. Yep. I mean, really small. I, I that game really. Uh, I don't want to overanalyze one game, but that one, he looked overmatched. I think over time, he played his way through it, but they were down 28 nothing late first quarter into the second quarter. He wound up making a great throw, climbing in the pocket late to hit a, it was it Hollywood Brown or CeeDee Lamb at a post route in the middle of the end zone to the back of the end zone, high quality throw. But I came away from that game thinking, wow, I don't know. He's, I mean, is he, is he Russell Wilson small or is he Doug Flutie small? Yeah. If he's Doug Flutie small, that's small. Yeah. Now the league has changed. I'm rooting for him. I, I, I think he will be drafted. But up until the Orange Bowl, I thought, hell, I'd take him number one overall. I think he's great. But after that game happened, the interesting thing will be, uh, and I also saw Ohio State and Dwayne Haskins late in the year. I did the Big Ten championship game in Indy against Northwestern. Um He's more of the prototype. He's big and strong, rocket arm. I think it'll be interesting to see if the NFL takes Haskins higher than Murray. I'm just glad Murray's going to have a chance to play, and I think he will. I think he'll do well in the NFL, uh, but there's going to be some awkward moments. There's going to be some plays where you're like, wow, that didn't go well because he's (laughs) just so small. And they're going to put big guys on him to spy him, to try to obstruct his vision. So I'm going to be intrigued, but I – I love the guy. I think it's great that he's going to have a chance to play. I think he will do well. I think he'll make a Pro Bowl. 
But if he, you know, is he going to be a Hall of Fame, you know, transcendent talent? I think he has the ability as a thrower, and he can roll and throw on the run. The only weakness, I don't see any weakness in his game at all, except when he goes to Indy and they measure him. Is he closer to 5'8 than 5'9? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, how small yeah. is he truly is the question with that. Yeah, guy. and you know they're all about the numbers when you go to Indy. You know, they don't, they don't, yeah, a lot of things they don't absolutely. measure, but they're going to measure them hands and them yeah. the height and all that don't yeah. mean nothing. I agree. I feel like baseball will always be there. You know, if he has three years in the NFL, maybe even just two, if it doesn't pan out, he could always go back to baseball. I mean, that's a 10, 15-year uh, career that he can have in, in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and he can't. He, he, and there's no way he can do both. I mean, I mean that's not no going to happen. Yeah, he's not going to do both. To play quarterback in the NFL, the NFL will pass on you. If you're not, you know, deep into the preparation, and I'm sure he is, he's got no chance. So he's got to choose one of yeah, them. Has, this ain't Bo Jackson yeah. days. So. No, he, well, has to, just, he has to be committed, man. That quarterback absolutely. position is totally different. Yeah. you got to know what every single person is yeah. doing and the O-line is doing and what the defense is doing. It's not just like yeah. a running back. You come in there, i got to know my plays, or a receiver, i got to know my plays so I can miss the offseason. The quarterback has to know everybody's position, the protections, where the blitzes is coming from. That's a lot. You cannot play baseball and then dedicate yourself to football. You got to pick one. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. So last thing, very last thing, because I know we all got to go. I want to real quick go back to the Susan Slesser article from 1996 because she asked you a bunch of questions like best interview subject, toughest interview subject, most embarrassing moment, etc. So I want to see real quick how much things have changed since 1996. I don't know if you remember what you said, but I'll let you know after you answer this or these questions. So first, best interview subject. Best interview I've ever had uh, in all the years. Ooh. Uh, I would probably say Charles Barkley. Ooh, that's the same. 1996, you said the same thing. Yeah, I mean, Charles was partly because, uh, you know, he was a Philadelphia 76er. And my, my brother Gary was a sportscaster in Philly. So I knew I know Charles well. Uh, we hang out a lot. Uh, he's wild. He's so much fun. So the interviews I would do with him were a little bit different, but he was, he's a great interview. He's become obviously a very outspoken, uh, broadcaster, not as, not as accurate as I would like him to be or detailed, but, uh, he is Charles and we, you know, but, uh, I remember one time, uh, when he was playing for the Phoenix Suns and the Warriors were playing a playoff series against him and they, the Phoenix Suns won the first two games of the series and Don Nelson, the coach then, elected not to double-team Charles. He, he called me aside before game three, and he said, uh, do me a favor and interview me before the game. And I said, why? He said, you'll see. Just, you know, interview me. <laughs> and then when we got on the air, he went off on Nelly, and he said, if that old man don't double-team me, I'm dropping 50 out of him tonight. <laughs> and Nelly did not double-team him. He wound up going for 56. I think he had like 28 in the first quarter. He's not, he was never a great three-point shooter, but he made a – he made six or seven, I think, that night, a bunch of the first quarter. So Charles was beautiful, just so honest and accurate. Uh, so I, I, I would, a lot of good ones over the years, but I would say without question, Charles Barkley. And that's that swagger and that confidence you're talking about right without here. Without question. <laughs> the round mound of rebounds. I love that. No, game. Barkley, me and Barkley, you know Barkley lives in, lives in Scottsdale, so me and him golf every now and then. But I met him on the plane, man, and he had the whole, I mean, he had the whole plane, uh, Diane Lavin. He was just acting a mind. character and when he was the young, whole time on the plane. Yeah. And when he was young and playing with Philly, he was. You think I was young and full of myself? <laughs> we had hang around Charles Barkley. He was so much fun. <laughs> 
All right, James, you're next. Go ahead, Fallon. Just roll them off. No, okay. So you're not going to do this? Fine. That's fine. Just roll them off. Not a team player. It's cool. Okay, so (laughs) toughest interview subject. Toughest interview subject. What would I say? uh, Well, there was one night. Remember the guy, he was named Chris Jackson when he played in college at LSU when he played with Shaquille O'Neal. And the, in the NBA, he changed his name to Mahmoud abdul oh, Raouf. Yes. And the reason he was <laughs> tough is he, he suffers from Tourette syndrome. And oh, I, had, man. I, I had forgotten, I think. And when I sat down to interview him, uh, he had a series of idiosyncrasies because of his uh, Tourette's. That were odd, and he would tie his shoelaces over and over again. But he would also, like, yelp out or, or start to bark like a dog in the middle of the interview. And the first time he did it, I, I was a little taken back by it, and uh, I, I didn't know quite how to handle it. And I wound up having to bite my lips so I wouldn't laugh, or oh I had to think of you know the most terrible moments of my life to try to you know take the laughing to being more serious and. So that one was challenging, not that he wasn't a good interview, and he was a good interview. And we wound up talking about the Tourette's during the interview because it was obvious to everybody watching that he suffered from that. But that one was just probably the most challenging. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Amari Cooper was a difficult interview. Oh, man, me and you both know that. He just didn't have a lot to say, and uh, he didn't like it, and he was just, you know, over time he got better. I remember one training camp interview I did with him live on the radio, and he was better. But when he was a younger player, he was he was difficult to get him to engage. So for different reasons, Amari because he was just so shy, and Mahmoud Abdul Raouf because he uh, he had Tourette's and it went, the interview went a different direction. Well, Amari sure has a lot to say now that he's in Dallas. But um, anyways, yeah, yeah. but anyways, in 1996, yeah. you said Larry Smith. By the way, Larry, yeah, Larry was tough. Larry was the uh, great rebounder for the Warriors who. Mm-hmm. A lot like, just he wasn't very articulate. I think Amari could speak well. Larry just didn't have a lot to say, and he didn't say it well. And he was, Larry was also, talking about the, you know, the swagger of a great athlete, Larry was kind of, lacked confidence in a lot of things. He was a great rebounder and defender, but he could not shoot the ball. And when he went to the free throw line, he'd always lick his fingers after he missed the first one, which he always did. Yeah. He wasn't a good shooter. He just didn't have, you know, hand-eye coordination for that. So he was kind of, he kind of didn't like being on the spotlight, which is odd. I think that was some of the reason he didn't develop, you know, great offensive skills. He was just ill at ease when you were interviewing him. Okay, so best game broadcast. Best game? What did I say back then? I'm not going to tell you. Uh, I, I probably Sleepy Floyd game. Yeah, you said that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 1987. Yeah, the Sleepy, the Sleepy Floyd game was the you know the one where the Warriors were down three games to none facing the mighty Lakers of Kareem and Magic and Michael Cooper, and he wound up scoring 29 in the fourth quarter, which is still an NBA record for most points at a quarter. And he came back, and the Warriors wound up winning, and he was pointing at Michael Cooper. He was, like, punch drunk, and that was memorable. Uh, I would say, as far as football goes, that, that Raider Chief game, Last year on the Thursday night, Amari uh, yes. had an amazing game, and ultimately they won after several touchdowns were overturned. And uh, Jared Cook had one that we thought he scored. He got uh, called down at the one yard line. The holds, a uh, few holds on Kansas City. <clears throat> when Derek oh, so Carr was, made that, so it wasn't our nap. Kansas City game, huh, Pop? When we were zero no, ten and I caught the game. <laughs> well, winner. that was a good one. No, that was. I remember that one. Very well. The rain game. I had people saying at the end of that year, it'd be better if the Raiders went 0-16. I was like, are you out of your mind? Yeah, out of your mind. Now, that night was memorable. Uh, the, the Tay train, Latavius yeah. Murray at a huge game, got hurt. 
But the end of that game, wasn't that the C.O. Moore, Khalil yes. Mack yes. game oh, play at the end of the game, yeah. James? I remember that play. Well, that yeah. was a wild game. That was a wild game. I remember that game. But last year's, or was it 2017? Yeah, that was Michael Crabtree. He caught the game winner. Crabtree when Derek rolled left and hit yeah. him at the front of the end zone. It was yeah. that, that. By the end of that game, I was physically tired. <laughs> I remember sitting there with like a raging headache. Like, ah, that game wore me out. But that game was so much fun. The funny thing about you, though, Pop, I swear you know something like in 1989, in the seventh inning, they had yeah, a runner on first and second. I'm like, how the hell does he remember this well, crap? It's insane. Don't ask me what my second child's middle name is. Okay, most embarrassing moment. Uh, well, I swore on the air a few times. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I had the ones where... I had some really awkward. I mean, the worst one. I guess we're on a podcast. I can say whatever I want, right? Yes, I can swear yes, on this yes, thing. Is yes, that cool? Yes, yes, yes. Well, I, I had a Tim Hardaway shit out of a jet one time. Uh, probably the uh, uh, one time Chris Mullen, who was the greatest great shooter. You think Steph Curry's a great shooter, and he is. Whenever Chris Mullen shot and missed, I was shocked when he was open. And I, I Chris Mullen, one time took a jump shot, and it, he didn't hit the rim. It was an air ball, and I was just so amazed by it. I said, "I said, did Chris miss everything?" I said, "I, I think he, I think he touched the front rim." I said, I, "I'm going to give him a rim job on that one." And then I went, "Oh no!" Oh shit! What did, what did you, I you know what's crazy? You know what's crazy? Speaking of Chris Mullen. He yeah. goes to the he goes to the club sport in San Ramon when he lived out oh, yeah, here and yeah, um yeah and I used to play against him and I used to d him up oh. no I'm playing <laughs> no I'm playing no I went to, I went to play basketball Chris was like JJ come play basketball we got some college kids in here we get some good run I said yeah I should have went to the NBA I'll be in there tomorrow <laughs> I come in there. When I get in, when I get in there, they like, hey man, you got Chris. I'm like, oh yeah, Chris slow. I'm about to, I'm about to de, I'm about to de Chris up, man. Every time Chris got that ball, man, he shot that thing swish every time, swish every time, swish every time. I'm like, man, I started throwing elbows and everything. I brought it back. I said, man, use my Charles Barkley, man. He still was making him. I said, I ain't guarding Chris no more. <laughs> no, he was that great. He was that great of a player. So. Oh, that's funny. Okay, last thing, very last thing. And I'm mad at what you said back in 1996. Uh-oh. Best NBA crowd. I remember. What did I say? What was I'm the topic? I'm telling you, you. Best NBA right. crowd. Best NBA crowd. Uh, probably Madison Square Garden. Yeah, you said that. I'm not happy about that, though. Oh, come on. The Garden is New York. Who did you want it to be, Fallon? I mean, LA, now. She wanted it to be Oracle. Oracle. I want it to be Oracle. Come on. In 96, you wanted it to be no, Oracle? No, what I'm saying is, obviously, <laughs> I'm mad about that. That's fine. But now, I mean, I remember growing up going to games for $10 a pop, whatever, when, you know, it was a Friday night and they had a game. We would go for $10, and it was still sold out when they sucked. When they were terrible, Oracle was still sold out. Absolutely. I did those games. They got 15,025 every night, whether they were uh, good or bad. I, I know. But it, it's mainly Madison Square Garden. And it's just, if you grew up on the East Coast, I'm from the East Coast, so uh, my team left, the Buffalo Braves. They moved and became the San Diego Clippers and the LA Clippers. I mean, probably my biggest thrill uh, as a young broadcaster was the first game I ever did at Madison Square Garden. It's mm-hmm. just... It's different. I mean, I love the Chicago Stadium, and I love Yankee Stadium, and I love Fenway Park and Ridley Field. And the old places resonate with me, but there's just there's nothing quite like Madison Square Garden, uh, even to this day. Last year when the Raiders played the Eagles on that Christmas night uh, game in Philly, uh, I spent most of that uh, weekend in New York with my family. I took my son to the 
Knicks-76ers game on Christmas morning to watch Joel Embiid against the Knicks. So I wanted them to experience Madison Square Garden. It's, it's just Unless you're from there, it's hard to explain it or been there. It's just the one arena where midtown Manhattan just goes into the building. It's not like, you know, you close the doors and you lock it out. The, the garden feels like you're right in midtown Manhattan. Yeah. And there's just nothing like the energy there. So it's hard to, you know, and I've been in all of them, obviously, but I still feel that way. I think, I think the crowd at Madison Square Garden, uh, and it's, what it's amazing about it is when the opponents start doing something great there, like Steph Curry. I remember years ago, Tim Hardaway going off there in a Sunday afternoon game, and after a point, they start rooting for the other team because they, they appreciate the game so much. So I know it's an East Coast, West Coast thing, Fal, but you grew up here loving the Warriors. I but know, I know. if you grew up where I grew up and just being around the, you know, the Knicks and the Garden, I, I think you'd feel differently about it. Well, your quote was, it's not artificial like a lot of the other arenas. That was your quote. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 they started building, you know, new arenas in the NBA and the old ones like the Chicago Stadium I loved. Uh, even though I hated the sight lines at the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden, I love that building. And it's like when they went from the Chicago Stadium to the United Center or when the Lakers moved from the, the fabulous Forum to Staples, those buildings are just, they're, they're awful. They have no character. Uh, the, the, I think the United Center is a million square feet. It's just yeah, so big. I know, yeah. It just didn't feel like the Chicago Stadium. So that was probably my... Uh, my dissatisfaction with the the new buildings they were building in the NBA and the NHL. Okay, so I told Papa that this interview was going to be 20 to 30 minutes, but if you guys know me and if you know Papa... How long have we gone? I got, I got 60 minutes on the clock. Yeah, basically uh, an hour. No, man, that's basically too long for me too, Pop. It's all right. Hold on, but all the right. thing is, Papa... I, I just lost my workout before my radio show, but it's okay. It's okay. The thing is with you, Pop, Yeah. if I ask you three questions, it's going to be 30 minutes because you go too. You go yeah, for a long you're time. You're blaming me? Yes, I'm blaming you. She's blaming my answers. Sorry. I'm Always, I'm telling you, Ben Roethlisberger, Ben Fallenberger, <laughs> no, Ben Fallenberger. Up. Okay, and for the, for the listeners out here, we did a barter trade agreement. Papa came on um, our podcast, Keeping It 300. So James Jones tomorrow will be on the Greg Papa show with Bonte Hill somewhere between noon and three. Right, Greg? We locked in at one o'clock, right? Locked in at one. But the crazy one thing o'clock. is, what does Fallon got to do, Pop? I ain't got to do nothing but edit this, I'm though. I'm going to have her on the show. I'm going to come up with something for Fallon. I'm going to come All up right. No, 1 o'clock tomorrow. I'm near. 1 o'clock. And make sure right, that man. you let him pub Keeping It 300, our podcast, okay? Oh, oh here she question. goes. She's trying to get we'll free. She's trying to get free publicity. You know what we'll do? We'll, we'll probably play a snippet of this uh, podcast before he comes on. How about that? Ooh, I like it. So I got to get it out very soon. I will do that. Probably one of the lines where Fallon was ripping me, James. Okay. You know, always Saying I don't like everybody women? else. Everybody what is, what else but herself. I, I love, maybe maybe it's just one woman in particular I have a hard time with. Oh, good. <laughs> See, this is, that's what I, exactly what I'm talking about. No, no. But don't you miss me screaming during Mizzou games? And I do miss you. I do. The newsroom is so quiet. We need you back. Uh, Come back. No, nah, I'm good. I love Missouri. No, I just kidding. That was like fake. I love my husband. I don't love Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, all right. Thank you so much for joining us. And for the 49er faithful, you're getting a good one. So I hope you appreciate him. And welcome him with open arms, because he's awesome. Coming from you, the leader of the Raider Nation, I know that's big, Fallon. You're, you're allowing me to do this, right? Yeah. I'm allowing you. I'm allowing you. Go ahead and be the voice of the 49ers. You have my blessing. <laughs> Come over and be a Niners fan. Would you ever do that? Hail to the no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pop. Thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate Thank you, Pop. Fallon. Thank you, James. We'll talk tomorrow. Not a problem. All right, buddy. Take care, man. 
Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Keeping It 300. I hope you enjoyed the show. For James, I'm Fallon. We out.